Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Perhaps the most competitive congressional race in Michigan is happening in the 10th Congressional District covering portions of Macomb and Oakland County. Coming up, we sit down with Democrat Carl Marlinga to find out why he's running against John James and what he wants to do if he gets to Washington. Plus, we check in on the state house races to watch with Gongwer, Michigan journalist Elena Dernbach. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Politics is a competition. Voters select someone that best represents them and their values, as well as interests. The midterms offer voters a wide variety of competitions and issues to pay attention to. And one of the most competitive spaces in the midterms in Michigan this year is happening in our 10th Congressional District. The newly drawn 10th mostly includes Macomb County and parts of Oakland County, with Republican John James facing Democrat Carl Marlinga. James is a U.S. Army veteran and businessman who continues to throw his hat in the political ring. James is running this time with Donald Trump's support and is criticizing President Joe Biden for the higher gas prices we've all been seeing. His opponent, Carl Marlinga, though, sees things a little bit differently. Carl has spent almost 40 years in public service for Macomb County, serving as a former prosecutor, assistant U.S. attorney, and circuit court judge with deep ties to the area. He wants to improve manufacturing in Macomb County, create a fairer criminal justice system, and ensure abortion rights are protected. At this point, uh, the race has John James as the favorite, according to the Cook Political Report, but there's still two weeks before the election, and we've seen polls listing both Marlinga on top as well as John James on top. That means there's still plenty of time for the candidates to share their messages and collect more votes. To talk about the race and why he's running for Congress, today we have Carl Marlinga with us. Carl, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning and thanks for having me here. And thank you for joining us. And just as a note, we have contacted John James' campaign team on multiple occasions and to date have not heard back from them. But while I have you on the phone, Carl, let's uh, start here. Why are you running for Congress in the 10th Congressional District? This actually starts with uh, January 6th of 2021 when my wife and I were watching the uh, insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, and uh, she made a comment to me. She said, Carl, aren't you glad that you're out of this, uh, out of this? And my reaction was not what she expected. I said, uh, this might be the time when people of good conscience uh, get themselves involved. I mean, this is a real crisis. We've had 200 years of the peaceful transition of power now blown because of the uh, egocentricity of the president in the White House um, and his encouragement for this kind of behavior. Um, and then, of course, in the months following, uh, we found out that uh, as bad as the insurrection was, so what was happening inside the White House is that Trump and his people were trying to find ways to disallow the election and to uh, uh, not count electoral votes, have the thoroughly unconstitutional point of view accepted that the vice president could reject electors from various states when that's not in the original Constitution or the 12th Amendment. Uh, and and so anyway, as the year went on, um, I was hoping that there would be a strong Democratic candidate to emerge in whatever the new redrawn districts were when both uh, Haley Stevens and Andy Levin decided to run in the uh, in the new uh, 11th district. Uh, it left a vacancy here and polls early on identified me as the, the one Democrat with the best chance to defeat John James. And so I, I told my wife and I told uh, friends that, look, at uh, John Kennedy said years ago, you know, if you have the ability to do something, perhaps you should think as to whether you have the duty to do it. 
And so rather than have a kind of a leisurely but uh, economically profitable retirement doing mediations and arbitrations, I decided to uh, throw myself in the ring one more time. I knew it was going to be brutal, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, well, look, when I was, when I was younger, probably like most politicians, uh, you know, personal ambition was, uh, was a driving force with duty to country being a part of it. This is really just kind of like 98% duty, 2% ambition. Uh, we need people in the Congress to make sure that the Constitution is respected, that the elections are done right. And uh, I, ju- I just have to do this. You know, it was interesting that you mentioned quoting uh, Kennedy, because I was thinking while you were talking about that, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, uh, which is, I think, a sentiment a lot of people want to get back to. And as someone with deep ties to Macomb County, then uh, I would expect or I would hope that you'd have an idea of what the people in your community there in the newly redrawn 10th are really looking for in Congress. What are the issues that are most important, as you understand it, for the voters in the 10th? Well, before I get to the actual issues, I, I, I want to say this. I think all people, uh, including my neighbors here in Macomb County, uh, want to see politics return to some sense of civility, where the crazies on the far right and the crazies on the far left do not dominate the news cycle all the time, that we get legitimate debates about real issues, decide those issues, and then shake hands and be friends and not have this uh, constant sniping at one another. But as far as the issues, um, I think that there are three that I've, I think are most important. One is re- representation. Um, the next is uh, choice. And the last one is inflation. And representation, I simply mean this, that unlike other offices, this is called the House of Representatives, meaning that you are a representative of your community, that you take some person from the community and that person represents the community is the voice for the neighbors in the community. And in this election, for some reason that I can't understand, John James doesn't live in the district, but he has chosen not to move into the district. He says he will move in if he wins, but that doesn't talk to me about a lot, great deal of commitment. Uh, and I guess it implies that if he doesn't win, he, he won't bother moving in. Um, but I think that's important because a representative uh, uh, in the House is uh, is more important than any other area uh, of government. So you can have people in the executive, you can have people in the Senate, but a representative must know what his or her neighbors are thinking. It's good if the if your kids go to the schools in the district, that you shop in the district, go to church in the. I mean, I do all of that. And John James isn't even able to vote for himself because his he's a, a resident of, of Farmington Hills. So um, that's that, that's issue number one, and I just I'll just let the voters decide what they want to make of that. I think it's a big issue. On our latest polling, forty-four percent of the people that we polled thought that it was a big issue. So we'll just see where that falls. The second one is the issue of choice, and a lot has been said about it. Um, it's a pretty clear line of demarcation. I'm pro-choice. John James uh, has said many times that he's a hundred percent pro-life and that he doesn't even accept the exceptions for uh, the uh, a person who is the victim of rape or incest. And I know that there's a lot of things on the airwaves about, well, what if a 14-year-old gets pregnant uh, as a result of incest? Should she have to carry the pregnancy to term? You know, the, the answer should be a clear no, but, but let's not limit it to 14-year-olds. There are 13-year-olds, there are 12-year-olds who are impregnated as a result of rape, for instance, there are 20 and there are 30 year olds. No person who is the victim of crime, of that kind of a brutal crime, should be forced to complete the pregnancy because of the moral beliefs of somebody else. The state doesn't have a right to intrude on all of our privacy matters, our health matters. Um, Some things are just too deep, too personal. And a decision about an abortion should be between a woman her physician, and her God. Um, It should not include the county prosecutor. It should not include a detective. Oh, and by the way, but, you know, we're also talking about um, if a woman and a man are looking forward to a child and that couple happens to suffer the tragedy of a miscarriage, a criminal file is going to be open on that in order to determine whether or not that was a naturally occurring event or whether it was induced. That kind of awful draconian invasion of the state into private matters is chilling, and we just we just can't go there. 
the last issue is inflation. And on that, I say that the root cause for inflation in this particular year or past couple of years is the war in Ukraine with grain prices going up, food prices going up worldwide because Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, but also the oil prices with Russia and Iran and the OPEC countries trying to put great pressure on the United States by withholding millions of barrels of oil from the market in order to keep the price of oil high. And what happens when the price of oil is high? Well, you get 42 gallons of gas from every barrel of oil. So as the price of oil goes up, the price of gasoline goes up. And if a trucker has to fill his or her truck with a with the, with gasoline, um, instead of paying $500 for a full tank, they pay $2,000 for a full tank, which is what these big rigs will, will take. Uh, it means that the price of everything carried on that truck to, to the supermarket, paper towels, oranges, Rice Krispies, whatever it is, that price is going to go up as well. And so we are seeing an inflation push, not because of government spending, which is often the cause, but rather because uh, the price of energy is so high and there are actors in the world, namely Russia and Iran, even Saudi Arabia, who like it to be that way who like to see the United States twist in the wind. And we have to stand up to these international thieves and say, no more. We are not going to be held hostage to your price hikes, which means that we have to seriously develop alternative energy. And we, we need to do it to save the planet, but, and I'll close with, with this and take your next question. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's important in order to save the planet to fight climate change, but it's also important to give us the energy independence, which will get us away uh, from the ability of these foreign nations to put economic pressure on us through inflation. And that is, I think, a big issue. And it's one that, uh, that we have to address, and we have to address it in a way that gets serious about not letting us be at the mercy of OPEC. We're speaking with Carl Marlinga, again, the Democrat running for the 10th Congressional District against John James, the Republican in that race here on 101.9 WDET and Detroit today. And Carl, you did mention the three areas, inflation, choice and representation, as you seeing the big issues of Macomb County voters and uh, are facing and that you're tackling. So I want to tackle these one at a time. And we'll start with inflation that you just mentioned, because uh, while I can appreciate the long term nature of what you're talking about in terms of helping reduce inflation with renewable and clean energy. The impact of inflation is being felt by Macomb County voters and Michiganders right now. And you mentioned things like OPEC and the war in Ukraine. Uh, What solution do you have in the short term or legislation that you would introduce that would give relief to uh, consumers and residents uh, in the the next uh, immediately or, or in a shorter term process while we work on the renewables? Sure. In terms of the necessities of life, we have to make sure that uh, drug prices uh, are kept low and the uh, Inflation Reduction Act passed by a Democratic Congress and a Democratic uh, uh, chief executive in the White House uh, does just that. It allows us to finally negotiate with drug companies uh, to bring down the cost of prescription drugs. Uh, It puts a cap on the amount that you have to pay for insulin. And so the necessities of life have to be covered. but in addition to that, I, I know that some people would like to jump to well, wage and price controls immediately. But in this cycle, you don't have to because, again, the Inflation Reduction Act does a thing that gets us away from inflation. If you just give out money without increasing production, that's an inflationary pressure. If, however, the money that you distribute goes to boost manufacturing, if you produce more goods if you make more products, you have more products being chased by the same amount of money. Inflation occurs when you have more money in the system chasing fewer products. And so the Inflation Reduction Act wisely aims at increasing manufacturing. And that is, again, another solution. And and also, I, I, I do want to take issue with, with the original premise about moving to renewables. Yes, it's going to take years to completely move on to renewables, but it's a negotiating tool. If we can tell OPEC that, look, the more you raise your oil prices, the more you take 
oil off the market, we are going to be putting more money into renewables. And so you can cut your own throat by continuing to do this to us, but it's only going to accelerate. But they have to know that we are serious. I always say in criminal law, in uh, in raising children and foreign policy, you have to mean what you say. <laughs> and so the, the OPEC nations, Russia and Iran and Saudi Arabia, they have to know that we are deadly serious about doing this, that this commitment isn't half-hearted. And if they know that, then market forces will take effect because they will realize it's in their own best interest not to play hardball with us because we're going to be playing hardball with them. And by the way, I, I do not leave out the possibility that um, that with regard to uh, the oil companies, um, uh, basically, if you do the math, knowing that you get 42 gallons of gasoline from every barrel of oil, we're still about 80 cents to a dollar above what gasoline should be selling for because the oil companies are reaping huge profits and they know it. Uh, and, and they're saying, well, we work on such thin margins. Yeah, normally you work on thin margins, except when the prices are up like this, uh, those margins aren't thin anymore. You're making gigantic profits. And maybe it's time that we did some investigation and closed them down uh, and uh, do what they say. Oh, this is against market forces and all that. That, that. That's phony. You oil companies are already taking advantage of this. Uh, you are ignoring market forces. You're gouging us. You're making a profit. It's time we shut you down. Yeah. And uh, you also mentioned, uh, and I appreciate your points there, on pro uh, being pro-choice, uh, which I understand. But Michigan has legislation that we'll be considering in the fall. And as a member of Congress, you know, your responsibility would be to uh, draft law uh, that would have effect not only locally but nationally. I'm not aware of any abortion laws that would be coming into effect. The Supreme Court has already decided the uh, issue then. Is being pro-choice, especially with uh, how people in Macomb County look at the issue. Is that something that you would be able to have an effect on or cause any change in uh, as a member of Congress? Yeah, well, the, the answer the answer is yes, surprisingly so. Lindsey Graham, the Republican leader in the Senate, has proposed a nationwide abortion ban, meaning that he's he's trying to do something which, as a matter of federal law, would take precedence over state law. And so we need reasonable people in the Congress to say no way that 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 after decades of the conservative message being that this is a matter for the states to decide now you have a Republican leader and Republicans in Congress the the morality police in Congress trying to say that well I know that we said that this is a matter of state law before but uh, we've changed our mind now 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 we're going to make this a federal mandate and so you have to have people in the House and the Senate to say we are rejecting. That's that's a probably an unconstitutional idea, but but, but you, you got to nip it in the bud. You got you got to be there to stop it from happening. Also, well, I, I think it's it's just important for any public official uh, when running for office to let the voters know where he or she stands on important issues. Yeah. And I'm voting for Proposition Three. Uh, and yes, it will be a matter of state law that the Supreme Court can't touch. But we have to have people in Congress to make sure that there's not some uh, ill-gotten attempt in Congress to uh, to suddenly nationalize this issue uh, with the with hypocrites who for years have been saying, no, it's a state issue. And now they say, no, it's a federal issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, speaking with Carl Marlinga running in the 10th Congressional District as the Democrat. And you also mentioned representation and uh your ties to Macomb County, uh, living in the area for so much of your life. Uh, but my question for you then is, if there's a benefit in knowing, uh, going to the grocery store, meeting your neighbors, being a member of the community, as you say, because you have to represent them, uh, you've told me these issues. What are the issues that you are hearing from the people in the grocery store that you meet, your neighbors, that uh, they really want uh, representation for? What are the issues that are most important to them, and how are you going to deal with those? I tell you, so the, the very three that I mentioned, I, I, I didn't pick out of thin air. Uh, when I'm going door to door, when I'm uh, both on, uh, let's see, last Saturday and Sunday, I had the wonderful experience of handing out Halloween candy uh, to a bunch of the children and their parents coming through in Mount Clemens. There were about 5,000 people came through. In St. Clair Shores, about 3,000 people came through. And, uh, of course, mainly you're just 
talking, you know, happily about the kids and passing out candy and it's fun and all that. But every once in a while, people would stop. And and these are the three things that okay. people talk to me about. Hmm. They, they, they say, I'm voting for you, Carl. You know, uh, I don't want a guy who doesn't even live here. Then somebody else will stop by and say that, uh, uh, you know, look at your pro-choice, I'm pro-choice. Uh, thank you for uh, respecting my, my, my freedom, uh, trusting me as a woman. And I say, well, thank you. I'm very honored when I when I hear people talk uh, talk that way. And then and then the last one is people say, you know, we got to do something about inflation. Uh, and so these are the three that I've talked about. Now, I have on occasion heard people talk about um, two other things. So one would be the, the war in Ukraine uh, and also about student loans. And um, on student loans, people now seem to be aware that there is, uh, well, there's an odd hypocrisy that John James has presented on both of these issues. He's criticized aid to Ukraine, and he's criticized student loans. And this is so, I don't understand why he's doing this, because John James's company took a $2.7 million loan for the um, uh, Paycheck Protection Program uh, during the uh, COVID crisis. And he didn't pay it back. The debt was forgiven. And I can see as a businessman, he, he reaps this windfall and he's happy about it. But if you take $2.7 million from taxpayers and then you don't pay it back, you shouldn't be chirping about some poor student out of school who's saddled with debt and the $10,000 would, would be a meaningful change in his or her life Whereas you as a millionaire, the $2.7 million that you just got as a windfall from the taxpayers, um, you know, you don't, you don't say anything about. And then, and then he talks about aid to Ukraine. And again, it's the same thing. Okay. Look at freedom is on the line in Ukraine. There's a, I grew up down the street from the Ukrainian Cultural Center. We have the largest Ukrainian population of uh, anywhere in the United States here in Macomb County. These are my neighbors. This is important to them. They're, I've talked to people who actually have lived and worked in places that have been bombed by the Russians. Yeah. Uh, this is naked aggression. 90 years ago with Adolf Hitler going into Czechoslovakia, we said never again. And yet here we are. Uh, in uh, the 21st century with, uh, with a madman like Adolf Hitler. Uh, Putin has followed Hitler's game plan exactly uh, because Hitler said, well, there are German-speaking peoples uh, in the Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Uh, Putin is saying, well, there are Russian-speaking peoples in, in, in Crimea. It's the same game plan. Yeah. And so after Russia suffered so much in World War II, you, you, the, 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 the memory of all of the Russian soldiers who fell in World War II is now dishonored by this philosophical descendant of Adolf Hitler who is using the same playbook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Carl Marlinga here on Detroit Today, 1019 WDET. But if you have any questions, you can get involved with the uh, conversation as well. Do you live in Macomb County? Uh, you live in the 10th District? You live in that area of Oakland County that's affected also? What are you looking for from your representative? And what are you most interested in? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Carl, I do have a couple more questions for you when we return. And uh, just keep right here as Detroit Today continues in just a moment. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, where I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson, getting to know some of the candidates in our congressional races, this time with the 10th Congressional District covering Macomb and parts of Oakland County, uh, with the Democrat running for that seat, uh, Carl Marlinga. And Carl, uh, I do have a, we have a question on Twitter from someone who lives in your district, but before I get there, one of the reasons I was asking about uh, representation of the folks who live in your area is because uh, from the number 
numbers that we see, it seems Macomb County is tending more towards Republican uh, or conservative viewpoints, which would mean that as the Democrat, theoretically, uh, if the same amount of people on both sides were to run uh, or to come out and vote, that would put you in a losing spot. So in order to win, theoretically, you either got to get more Democrats out to vote or you're going to have to get some of those conservative and Republican voters to vote for you. Uh, so my question, I guess, would be, uh, one, um, what's your strategy in order to make that happen? But what are the issues that you believe that you have support on that can get some of those conservative votes uh, to help push you over the top if you need them? Well, just a couple of things. First of all, and the independent and conservative votes, um, the people here in Macomb County know me as, uh, as just a good, solid, middle-of-the-road type of guy trying to go- do good things for good people. And so by reputation... Uh, I know that I can. Um, that, that's why the poll showed me as the strongest Democrat to run because I had that name recognition and, and confidence uh, of a lot of people who would otherwise be voting for a, a more conservative uh, or Republican candidate. Secondly, turnout is going to be big in this uh, in this race. Uh, I think that uh, every Democrat is going to benefit from the surge vote, which is going to be the pro-choice vote. Uh, uh, women, um, men, uh, especially young women in their 20s and 30s, but uh, people of goodwill of any age um, uh, think that this assault on our personal liberty is just too much, and I think we're going to get a huge turnout. And I think that you take any Democrat and you take the last poll on Election Day, you add a plus three because of, of the turnout. And then lastly, mm-hmm. the, the fundamental premise is that um, the, the, the pre- I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it as short as I can. The precincts in this area run democratic that if you did a democratic race for congress using these precincts over the last 20 years that's 10 elections a democrat theoretically would win every time and senator stabenow beat the common opponent uh, 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 john james in these precincts by five percent gary peters beat him by one percent the fact that in the latest poll that shows that i'm two points ahead 44 to 42 is bracketed it's consistent with what peters and stabenow did against a common opponent so there is really great reason to, to go into this uh, with, uh, you know, with a great deal of hope and confidence. Very good. David on Twitter says, I'm in Marlinga's district. I'd like to hear his thoughts on the smart bus millage, which is up for renewal this year. Four years ago, it barely passed. If it fails in Macomb, it will prevent thousands of people from reaching jobs, getting groceries and getting to church and more. Uh, Carl, I leave the question to you. Oh, yeah. Look, at uh, it failed, I think, by 20 or uh, there was a 26 vote margin the last time around, which is way too narrow. Look, at I'm a big proponent of public transportation of the smart system. Uh, and I come to, at that in a number of ways. Remember, I was a probate judge and a circuit court judge. I know from being a probate judge how people with disabilities, how people who uh, have lost their families are living alone, um, uh, people who need guardians, people who need conservators. There, 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 there's a need for, for, for ordinary folks like us who don't have a lot of money to be able to have a productive, happy life to get to, get to church, get to the doctor, get to the grocery store. I mean, the, the smart system is so important. And then and the, and the circuit court side of things, I mean, I uh, look at, I mean, some criminal defendants are bad people who are going to hurt you and, 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 and try to, to do bad things to you no, no matter what. But there are a lot of people in the criminal justice system who continually make bad choices, don't get a break. And then when they have a chance to get a job, if they don't have transportation for that job, not only economically are they still in, in bad shape, but also in terms of their psyche, something just, it seems like the world is stacked against them. You can't even get to work. And so it's going to help in the criminal justice system. It's going to deter people from committing crimes because it's going to do the thing that is most important in preventing crime and that it's going to give people hope. If you have hope, if you have a job, if you feel confident in your future, you turn away from crime. If you don't have those things, uh, not everybody, I mean, most, most people don't commit uh, crimes, no matter how bad things get, but, but some people at the fringes lose all hope. And 
And that, and so, look, I, I can I think you can tell from my voice, I could rail about this for a long time. We yeah. have to, we have to pass that millage. It's such a worthwhile investment, and it's just a decent thing to do for our friends and neighbors who don't have the wealth or the ability to drive. One of the things, you first of all, great points there. Uh, one of the things I know that's important right now in Congress, getting things done. It's very difficult to do though sometimes with our system of gridlock. And on uh, this uh, point, I note that. Uh, John James right now is fundraising a lot and has a lot of name recognition. You mentioned yours, but it appears that he also has strong name recognition uh, to that voter that's wondering about the ability to get things done. The fact that maybe John James making so much money uh, shows that he might have a little bit more push or sway in Congress. What would you say? How would you be able to get things done in Congress uh, uh, in, in our current system as it exists right now? Yeah, well, first of all, remember, John James is not a self-made man. I mean, he's a, uh, the beneficiary of, of wealthy parents. Uh, he's a, uh, you know, uh, a trust millionaire. Um, uh, and so it's not like he's forged these paths himself. So I don't know what that means about his ability to be successful in Congress. But um, I, I, I do know that in terms of... Uh, of what what I can bring to the job that um, uh, I I know my neighbors I know the people in this district and um, I can I can certainly be their voice I, I think I kind of lost the, the train of the question what, what was the specific it, it, question well, you were asking the, the question was just about your tactics for getting things done especially you know in legislation oh, oh, is about oh yeah no yeah, go ahead oh here, here here's another important so first of all on both sides of the aisle. I'll take the Republican side first. Um, uh, I have a friend in Congress, and I will not name who he or she is because I don't want to throw them under the bus and have them, you know, be be primaried or have people talk about them. But but there are people in Congress who I know, not necessarily from this state, who are Republicans. And and I got a call saying, Carl, I can't wait to have you join us in Congress. You're a reasonable voice on the other side, and I know that there's some nonpartisan things, bipartisan things that we can work out, and it would be such a pleasure to have you there. On the Democratic side, uh, I got some great cheerleaders, um, uh, Alyssa Slotkin, uh, Haley Stevens, Debbie Dingell, uh, uh, Dan Kildee, uh, Shri Thanadar, who's uh, going to win because he, he's basically in a safe Democratic seat. Um, uh, these are people who uh, have attended my my fundraisers who have um, uh, in, in fact look and i'm friends with andy levin as well but 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 haley stevens every time i see that amazing young woman um it's it's like it's just another shot in the arm she she knows that i would be an ally uh, on the science uh, and technology committee um, because of my desire to have renewable energy, but also my deep interest in science. Technology is the wave of the future in order to make sure that we have good paying jobs in this country. And, and so on both sides of the aisle, I have people who have told me that they are just kind of like really, really anxious to have me there. So I think I can be an effective force even as a freshman. All right. Uh, you know what, Carl? Uh, appreciate you being so uh, giving generous with your time. I'm going to give you your opportunity right now. Make your pitch to the voter. Why should Carl Marlinga uh, be the next, next elected representative for the 10th Congressional District? We need representation from somebody uh, who lives in the district. Uh, I've spent my whole adult life in Macomb County. Um, the part of the district that isn't Macomb is Rochester and Rochester Hills. My daughter lives there. My granddaughter goes to school there. Uh, I've uh, in private practice. I had clients uh, up and down Main Street, um, and so Rochester to me is is just an unbelievable district. When I saw the map, I said, "Oh my God! It almost looks like I drew this map myself." These are all the areas where I've worked, uh, where I've gone to school, where my kids have gone to school, where I go to church, where I go shopping, where I attend my granddaughter's uh, performances at her school. This is. This is my my home district, uh, as Debbie Stabenow says. Carl, remember, Marlinga is Macomb, and I said that's a great phrase. But remember, I got Rochester and Rochester Hills too. And she says, well, then don't forget to mention your daughter and granddaughter. And so I've, I've done that just now. This this is my home turf. I want to be the representative for the people that I've lived, 
among and worked among all of my life. Right. In addition to that, I think I'm the right choice on the choice issue. And I think that uh, I, unlike other people who just wring their hands to talk about inflation, I actually can point the way to a solution to work out of that. As, uh, you know, Winston Churchill once said, you know, when you're going through hell, keep going. Uh, in other words, work your way through it. Don't let a problem freeze you. Right. Uh, just uh, keep on working towards the solution. And in all of my professional life, I've shown that desire and ability to do the right thing for the right reason, regardless of the consequences, regardless of partisan advantage or disadvantage, I want to represent the people because I, I love the people in this district and I love the United States. Yeah, thank you, Carl. You know what? I got one call, though, for you that we're going to take yeah. from Deborah in Hamtramck because I believe Deborah also has something to kind of dovetail on that point when you talk about the people. Uh, so, Deborah okay. in Hamtramck, go ahead with your on Detroit today. Deborah, are you there? Deborah? Well, it looks like we lost Deborah, but that's. Wait. Oh. No, Deborah, are you there? No, we have no Deborah today. Well, it's okay, but Carl, I do appreciate, uh, again, you coming on here on Detroit Today and talking with us about your bid for the 10th Congressional District. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, great. Coming up next on Detroit Today, we're going to take a look at the important state house races that you should be paying attention to, including uh, many taking place downriver with Elena Dernbaugh. That's next on Detroit Today, when we continue in just a moment. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, and I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Our politics are getting more polarized in this country, but there are still many districts at the state level that are toss ups. A lot of those state house districts exist in Downriver. A number of those th- seats, particularly the 27th, 28th, 29th, and 31st state house seats, are going to be very close races. Much of the focus for candidates in that area has been on abortion access and the economy. But the broader politics of Downriver are changing, with more voters supporting Donald Trump and the Democratic base not being as solid as it once was. To talk about Downriver's politics, Downriver's politics, which state house races are hot and what voters tend to care about in the area, we have Elena Dernbaugh here with us. Elena is a reporter for the news site Gongwer and has been covering some of these things. Elena, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, thank you. Uh, so here. Yeah, great having you. But why Downriver? Why was this the important place to cover for this election cycle? Absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, there is the, the politics of Downriver are interesting as it is an area that has. Um, traditionally leans more democratic, but then obviously there was a lot of support for former Don- former President Donald Trump. And then with redistricting this year, the, the districts have been redrawn, um, which has made the area more competitive. Um, you have districts where you have more suburban areas mixed in with more rural areas, and that has made a lot of these districts uh, toss-ups on paper. Are the politics that we're seeing here uh, mostly focused on, or the voters mostly focused on, the same things you're seeing in the national level? Like you mentioned, uh, Democrats running on abortion, Republicans running on prices being too high in tax cuts, or is there a different uh, cleave in the Downriver area? Downriver is very much similar to places all across the country and all across the state. Abortion and the economy are the two big talking points, um, with Democrats really running on uh, women's reproductive rights and Republicans driving home inflation and rising costs at the grocery store and the gas pump. Downriver, there is some discussion about infrastructure as well, uh, with candidates and voters 
talking about things like improving the power grid and roads and bridges and even discussion about um, solar energy and what that could mean for downriver and whether that would be good for people who live there. Um, But at at the top of the list, abortion and the economy. (laughs) It it seems just as with all of our politics right now, so much of the national story really can drive things at a local level. But it leads me to wonder, are voters there at all concerned about democracy being toppled or overrun uh, with some of the things that we've seen related to January 6th and voting and institutions? Is there any concern there downriver? Yeah, there there were some voters, as I was going out reporting um, in, in Downriver, there were some voters that said that, you know, they were not happy about the influence that Donald Trump still had on the Republican Party. And they were concerned about, you know, January 6th and the things that we are still learning about what happened on that day. And because of that, they they were voting straight ticket for Democrats, you know, they're like, all right, yes, um, that's that's good. That's great. We are glad that you're running. Um, as I was out with a Democratic candidate, they're like, we're, we're voting for you and we're voting for all all the other Democrats who are running because of the, the influence that uh, national politics has had and the concern of where where that uh, GOP story could be leading. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've covered the 27th, 28th, 29th, and 31st state house districts, as we mentioned. So uh, let's get down to the candidates and the races themselves. Uh, give us an overview. Which races are the hottest, and what are the issues that the candidates there are mostly focused on? Absolutely. I would say that of those districts, um, the hottest race is probably in the 29th between uh representative alex garza uh who is currently in in the state house he currently represents the 12th district and then his opponent is james DeSanta, who is new new to running a race um so we have an incumbent against the newcomer and they are as with most races uh Garza is really running on primarily driving home abortion and women's reproductive rights. And uh, Mr. DeSanta is uh, pro-life, and that is really distinguishing these two candidates. But also um, Garza is focused on labor and education. And Mr. DeSanta has talked about... um, immigration and the economy um, and is he said that he was concerned about the direction that the state is moving in and he wants to go to Lansing and turn things around. Um, so these two candidates are really trying to uh, distinguish themselves on, on issues and kind of stand in opposition. Um, you know, Garza talks a lot about having people who their primary, primary issue for this election is reproductive rights. DeSanta was like, no, that's not something I'm hearing at all because it's not something that impacts every voter in, in our community. And so that that race is really hot and it will be a matter of whose messaging, um, whose priorities hit with the most people in the 29th district. All right. We're speaking again with Elena Dernbaugh, journalist at the state politics outlet Gongwer, Michigan, here on Detroit Today in 1019 WDET. And we can speak to you as well. Do you live downriver or in Wayne County outside of Detroit? What are the issues that are most important to you? Are you concerned about inflation or losing the right to abortion? And what kinds of candidates are you planning to support and why in the state house as well as the state senate? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019, and we can work you into the conversation. But Elena, uh, you know, as you discuss uh, these races that are happening downriver for a long time here in Michigan, 
the state house has been a Republican stronghold. Uh, could these races have any impact on actually uh, turning the state house blue for the first time in a long time? They absolutely could. Um, you know, there are about 29 races uh, that we at Gongwar have deemed as competitive going into this election. And these seats downriver are very important for taking control of the state house for Democrats. Um, it's, it's an area that, as we've discussed, is a toss-up. Um, we've had last election cycle, um, Camarelli turns one of the state house seats blue. He's not running for the Senate. Um, so with these more competitive districts, these downriver seats have a chance of becoming uh, Democratic. And if that happens, that could give Democrats the, the edge they need to win the gavel in the state house. So for people who are listening, Elena, what are those races? Can you just tell us again, run through uh, the Republican and the Democrat that are facing off in those races, just so people have an idea, especially if they're looking for them on their ballots? Absolutely. So in the 27th, we have Jamie Churches, um, who is currently a fifth grade school teacher, um, and she's running against Robert Howey, and he is an architect. In the 28th, we have Rob Cole, uh, who is... Uh, a Navy veteran and someone who has uh, studied policy management, and Jamie Thompson, who is a nurse. 29th, as we've talked about, is Rep. Alex Garza, who is currently representing 12th District, and James Mastana, um, who is a buyer. And then in the 31st, we have Reggie Miller, who um, works in Van Buren Township, and Dale Benecki, who is a retired truck driver. All right. And as we are speaking with Elena Dernbaugh, you can get involved with the conversation as well. 313-577-1019. And one person we can work into the conversation right now is Anthony in southwest Detroit. Anthony, go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Oh, thank you so much. One of the issues I'm looking out at is um, at at the state level are uh, subsidies for, um, you know, industry say you know the automotive companies and you know battery plants and stuff like that uh you know supposedly those are job creation projects but i don't think they really balance out to use our public money for private purposes and i think both parties will be in favor of that so i mean that's just the way i'm looking at it Thanks for your point, Anthony. And right, money going to a private industry is something of a concern, especially if we think about Downriver and so much of the manufacturing that we were used to having there. A lot of those blue collar jobs and uh, with things there drying up. Corporate subsidies, is that an issue that's come up in any of the races that you've been covering, Elena? It's something that has been touched on. Um, I wouldn't say it's one of the talking points for candidates right now. I don't think it is, we'll say as much of a wedge issue as the economy or uh, abortion is, but it is something that candidates are acknowledging as a conversation that needs to be had. Um, Obviously, we are looking for ways to boost Michigan's economy and that can be done in a bunch of different ways, attracting business. And those corporate subsidies are a way that it has been done. There are some, and it it doesn't really matter which party it is. It seems to come down to the candidate, whether they feel like, oh, this is, corporate subsidies are what we need to do to be competitive. Um, There have been some candidates who have talked about not doing handouts, but structuring taxes in different ways to attract businesses. Um, so it's, it's been a conversation in some of the races I've been covering, but I wouldn't say it is at the top of the, the list 
for things to talk about when when they're hitting the doors. Sure, sure, sure. Elena, thank you. And Anthony, again, thank you so much for your call and your point there on uh, corporate subsidies. Elena, then that does lead me to a question about things at the local level. You did mention that Downriver and the races that you're watching, uh, candidates are talking about things like the power grid, roads, solar issues. But I wonder if there are any local wedge issues that we've seen with so much of the national landscape really impacting our local races. I wonder about wedge issues that are local or germane uh, uniquely to Downriver. Are you seeing any of those people talking about them or candidates talking about them? Um, I, I think Downriver, the biggest local focus was infrastructure. And the conversation I had um, about actually solar power in the 31st uh, with uh, Dale Benecki, who is running on the Republican side, he talked about people being concerned about um, solar power and even electric vehicles in an area that is more rural and the concern that the infrastructure build-out won't happen um, as quickly there in the 31st district, which will make it harder for people who already have uh, power that's less than reliable um, and an agricultural community that, you know, there are a lot of farms and that land is being sold for solar power. But how does that relate then to, you know, food production and the way that people are, are bringing in money and selling crops. All right. And yeah. That, yeah. So that, that, that's something that has been a, a local issue for, for the Downriver area. Right, right, right. Well, Elena, as we have uh, such interesting races down there, what's the fact, what's the piece of information that you'd love to know about uh, uh, the, show, or the show there uh, or the races going down there? For sure. So I, I am very interested to see whether it, what, what messages resonate most right. with voters, whether it will be local politics and local messaging, or if people just kind of vote. Right. at a big picture national level. Right. Well, the message I have for you is that we're on our way out. But Elena, thank you so much again for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you. You're listening to 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection for news, music, and conversation. Tune in tomorrow uh, when we will talk about uh, the race heating up and the gubernatorial uh, debate.